WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC. WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. 48 degrees, raining at 5 o'clock, 77 WC Time Check, sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Good afternoon, I'm Bob Brown. The top five at five. An historic first, Katanji Brown Jackson confirmed to the Supreme Court. UN votes to remove Russia from the Human Rights Council. Jobless claims matter low of 166,000 and another sign of sizzling U.S. labor market. Legal experts call for President Biden to release corporate tax returns. Climber temporarily shutting down two lanes of traffic on the Brooklyn Bridge. Cats at night up next on 77 WABC. The Mets opening tonight in Washington. Weather permitting Yankees home opener against the Red Sox tomorrow, 105 p.m. Rangers host the Penguins. Devils host the Canadians. Forecast from the Ramsey Miles Weather Center tonight. Cloudy periods of rain. Lows in the upper 40s. Friday, much better, partly sunny, highs in the low 60s. Right now, raining outside the Midtown Manhattan Studios. 77 WBC time check is 502, sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. I'm Bob Brown. Traffic and transit next. Remember, the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. Checking traffic right now. The GWB inbound upper okay. Lower doing fine. Outbound heavy delays. Lincoln inbound is okay. Outbound 15 to 20 minute delays. Holland inbound 5 to 10 from the turnpike. 10 to 15 from Route 1 and 9. Outbound 20 to 30 minute delays. Right now no major delays on the rails and in the subways. Lots of flooding out there so be careful. Alternate side parking rules in effect. I'm Bob Brown with your 77 WABC traffic and traffic. An update. A station built just for you. Entertaining talk, information, and he's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. We're gonna, we have another great show for you today. It's a TriCast broadcast out of WABC. Radio is 770 on your dial and AM 970, The Answer, and WLIR. And we have three common sense people in, in the studio with us. We have one, only one common sense Democrat today, Judge Richard Weinberg, two common sense Republicans, Ed Cox. Uh, you bet. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, former Congressman Peter King. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. And my sidekick today, Lydia's away in, in the good old place of Florida. And we have uh, Rita Cosby, who's on Monday through Friday at, at between uh, 10 and 12. And she's got some great stories that she'll tell us about, too. And, uh, Rita, what do we have on today? Well, we've got a great show here on Cats at Night, everybody, and thrilled to be with all of you again. And, of course, with the great John Katz and Matides. We've got, by the way, Bill Bratton, who's going to be coming up in one second. We also have Mick Mulvaney 
who is going to be talking about the budget in Washington. We also have retired DEA special agent Derek Maltz coming up, Scott Pruitt. And we're, of course, going to be talking about Russia, Ukraine with Dan Henninger. And we have Frank Morano also from WABC. We have an action-packed show. And first, we have some breaking news right now. In fact, let's go. John just spoke. With Bill Bratton, let's take a listen on this big one. Of course, former NYPD commissioner. And here is John talking to Bill Bratton. With us today is uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton uh, to give us his thoughts of what he thinks is going up on in Albany and some of the things he has heard. Commissioner Bill Bratton, uh, what have you heard about uh, what's going on in Albany on the bail bond law, which we all want New York City to be safer? Well, once again, uh, uh, a legislative body uh, working behind closed doors uh, is trying to fix the mess they created back in 2019. But from what I'm hearing, uh, the reform of the bail reform is uh, not going to be significant enough uh, from my perspective. I understand they may be talking about uh, giving judges more discretion to hold people on bail for gun-related crime, reflective of a serious gun crime problem in New York City and New York State. But they may not be giving judges total discretion to take into account the potential dangerousness of a person appearing in front of them, something that every judge in the rest of the country is able to take into consideration. Is this person potentially dangerous if we let them out without bail? And uh, so the reform of the reform, from my perspective, if that's what's happening, and right now that's the, the rumors, that uh, it doesn't go far enough. Uh, once again, we're basically playing around the edges. So my prediction going forward, that reform is not going to be enough. We're heading into a very uh, tough spring and summer. Uh, the next thing to watch for, other than the state budget, is the city budget. And right now the NYPD is understaffed compared to the amount of crime growth we're seeing. And I'm also I'm understanding that that city budget may be underfunding the NYPD to take on all the challenges they're going to face this year, this summer. So we'll have to watch that budget very closely also as our friends at the city council continue to screw up the city. Well, I pray for our city. I pray, I pray uh, uh, that uh, we'll keep it safe. And Commissioner, all I can say is uh, November is going to be a big election time, and I and uh, I'm going to vote for whoever wants to keep the city uh, safe, and I think all New Yorkers should vote for whoever is going to keep the city safe, and enough is enough. What say you? Well, John, in the meantime, let's uh, uh, be thankful that we've got uh, Eric Adams in as mayor. He uh, progressive left on a lot of issues, but on this issue, crime, he understands the history. He was with me in the transit police back in 1990. He was with the NYPD in 94 when we turned the city around. He knows what it took to go after serious crime with precision, to go after those uh, thousands of criminals who we know are out there committing crime, but to also at the and go after quality of life crime, the things that people see every day that make them fearful, the fear evasion, the aggressive begging, the street prostitution, graffiti that is the city's a mess, the graffiti, as well as just the trash. It's, it's, it's the city. The city does not look good. And he's focused on that, but boy, he's got a lot of resistance against them. City council, legislature, district attorneys, and some of the criminal justice reform. So let's be thankful that we've got a mayor that at least understands what needs to be done, but trying to rally support from the rest of the uh, the system. Uh, so far, they've been missing in action. 
Well, Commissioner uh, Bill Bratton, I pray for New York. I, I too support Eric Adams and uh, Mayor Adams trying to, to get the city safer. And uh, uh, let's catch up in the next few days again. Thank you so much for everything we'll you've done for New York. Thank you. That was Bill Bratton, and uh, he wants to keep the city safe, and he thinks there is uh, something was done in Albany. We don't know exactly what yet. Governor Holcomb has said that there was something done in Albany, and I guess uh, as we go through the night, we might find more before the end of the uh, broadcast today. You know, it's interesting. We were just talking about the dangerous clause. It doesn't look like that is added in because that's how you get these repeat offenders. That's that's (laughs) the key thing. As long as you don't have that as a – Device for the judges to keep the city safe, we're in trouble. I understand we have now with us. Yep, we've got Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former chief of staff for President Donald Trump, also served as director of Office of Management and Budget. And Mick, he's the only know, guy that knows what the, the numbers are. I and know. The budget. He's the only one who could <laughs> read the 000, whole thing. <laughs> 5,000 pages of budget. Mick, you get the award for reading all 5,000 pages. Great to have you here on Cats at Night. Yeah, I got news for you. I used to get paid to read all 5,000 pages. I don't anymore. So I've not read every single line like I did three and four years ago. Hey, Mick, this is Pete King. Did you really know what you were talking about? Because none of us did, and we always assumed you did. But I couldn't really yeah, back, tell the difference. Yeah, back in 17, 18, 19. Uh, uh, it, by the way, it's great to hear your voice. Pete. Good talking uh, to you, Back Mike. in 17, 18, 19, I actually did. There's, you take about four weeks. Uh, at the Office of Management and Budget and pretty much plow through every single line in the budget. It's one of the most wow. eye-opening experiences uh, anybody can have. One of the things I, I tell all my friends on Capitol Hill, I think I've mentioned to you, this to you in the past, is we collectively as members of Congress really have no idea how the government functions. It's it's so complicated and so complex. You really have to take a crash course in it to understand it. It's just bizarre, just we, bizarre. Yeah, well, you did a great job, Mick, in everything you did, so thank you. And, you know, Mick, yeah, I want to ask you, what is in the budget? One of the things we were talking about, and we saw a lot this week, especially how heated it was, um, with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and it was Matt Gates, and it was over the military budget, how they're doing an increase, but it's really not in line with inflation. And a lot of people are worried at a time where we're talking about Russia, Ukraine. Uh, where are we at on that? Yeah, it's all over the map. Let, let's answer that question a couple different ways. Um, yeah, some things keep up with inflation, some things don't. Uh, but you have to remember that the top line numbers, even the numbers that come down a couple spaces from the top lines, aren't really where the money gets spent. you got to go down, and Pete remembers this from his days on the Hill, you got to go down into those individual line items in the appropriations bills as to where the money's actually getting spent. So you say, I'm spending you know, $800 billion on defense, but if $100 billion of it is on you know, sexuality training, is that really defense? You don't really know where the money is going until you get into the appropriations bills. And that's what's so important to remember about a budget. A budget is not the same thing that you and I consider when we set a budget for our household or WABC as a business. A budget is a messaging document that doesn't really count in the greater scheme of things. It's those spending bills that Pete and I used to vote on that count because Congress spends the money in our system, not the president. So this is uh, Ed Cox, uh, Mick. Oh, w- what about the tax side of it, the pay for? Uh, it's an unusual kind of tax, may not be constitutional. Uh, what, if it's, what, what if it doesn't pass the Constitution? And that's why budgets really are important, because what's the message there? The message, regardless of what you think about the details, we could talk about that in a second, or at least what details we know about it. The message is we want to tax the rich more, a lot more. And we aren't 
feeling like taxing their income is enough, so we want to tax their wealth. And that is a groundbreaking message. It's a groundbreaking change in this country, even to the Democrat Party. We don't tax wealth here. You do that at the local level on your property taxes and so forth, but the federal government has never taxed wealth. It's probably impossible to do, um, keeping in mind every single taxpayer would have to prove they're not wealthy enough to qualify, even though the Democrats say, you know, 0.10% of, of taxpayers, about 700 families would pay this. Every single taxpayer would have to prove that they're not in that top one one hundredth of a percent. So it's a tremendous burden on people. Then you look at the fact it's probably unconstitutional. Keep in mind, the original draft of the Constitution, or at least the Constitution as originally uh, uh, approved, did not allow an income tax. We had to amend the Constitution to do that. Um, it's probably likely that we'd have to do the same thing again in order to institute a wealth tax. And a wealth tax would be unconstitutional without amendment to the Constitution. And the, you guys probably understand as well as I do what the likelihood of that is. That means zero, zero, zero. Um, Judge Weinberg? <laughs> I agree with Mr. Mulvaney. It is unconstitutional. No doubt it's unconstitutional because it's, it's only taxes on income are allowed, not on wealth. They have to amend the Constitution. That's number one. Number two, I agree with Mr. Mulvaney. It's absolutely impossible to administer this. It's too complicated. And number three, and Mr. Mulvaney understands this, in any country that's tried to have a wealth tax, they've always failed. Your comments, Mr. Mulvaney? There's a number four. Those are all right. Uh, and there's a number four, which okay. is it doesn't raise that much. It doesn't raise that much money. Uh, Most important of all. <laughs> yeah. If you if you look and and that's that's the truth of the matter here is you, you could take all you could confiscate all of the wealth from the billionaires in this country, and it wouldn't come anywhere close to putting a dent in our national debt. There's just not enough rich people out there. It makes for a great political campaign, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. The number that I think the Biden administration put out was $360 billion mm-hmm. raised by the wealth tax. Keep in mind, every time you hear budget numbers, when, it, when, when, when we talk about a budget, those are always over the 10-year budget window. So they're multiplied by 10, which means on average, it raises about $36 billion. And actually, in year one, it probably raises $25 billion. And that, we, we spend that in about uh, two minutes? Or, yeah, uh, that, that's one. Put that in perspective. That's one twentieth of the defense budget. It's, it's nothing. It's nickels and dimes. It's the stuff you could find in your the equivalent of what the government would find in the cushions of its sofa. It's, it's not <laughs> enough. So where do you see but, this headed? Mick? Where's where your you, sofa? Where's the yeah, We want to know where the sofa is. We want it. <laughs> yeah, they, they said, you know, it's a, it's a giant sofa. There's no, it's, it's a four trillion dollar sofa, right? That's what we take in every single year, about three point eight, something like that. Where is it headed? Uh, probably nowhere. Uh, the most you know, common phrase used whenever any president sends a budget to the Hill is that it's dead on arrival. Right. In fact, I'm, I'm putting my tongue firmly in my cheek when I say this. My guess is Pete probably said that about one, of, one or two of my budgets. That's because what, that's what every Congress says. right about that. Of, <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's right. It, it is what it is. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's not designed to be a spending document. It's designed to say, look, if I was king of the world, uh, this is what the world would look like. But I know that I'm not. So here, Congress, go and take some of the ideas that you like and ignore the ones that you don't. I do not remember. And Pete may remember because he's a lot older than I am. He was there a lot longer than I was. <laughs> he's I disputing that, the older part. My, but go ahead. <laughs> in my lifetime, I don't think a president's budget has ever passed into law. I don't think it has. I don't think anybody's ever adopted the president's budget. Oh, by the way, if it does get passed by the House and the Senate, it's still not a law. It's only a resolution. And it would have to be enacted in spending legislation or to become law. So it's never, ever going to happen. Um, but again, the value there is these are the priorities of this administration. This is what we think the world should look like. And we want to stick it to the rich people.
Wow. I mean, can I ask you real quick, uh, Mick, just on a separate topic, because big news today about Katanji Brown Jackson, your reaction uh, that now she has been confirmed. And also the other big news on the border uh, with the Title 42. Just there's so many things happening. Yeah, I'll give you short answers to it. The 42 thing is a joke. Um, I thought the Biden administration was going to listen to the scientists and all that, and they were going to listen to Dr. Fauci. And I think it's clear now that that was all designed to just make Donald Trump look bad. They're going to do what they want to do politically. If that means getting rid of, 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 of Title 42 for, for COVID, that's fine. Um, but on Kataji Brown, um, uh, Jackson, I'm, I'm in the minority in Republicans. I still think um, that advised consent is there to make sure that you don't get people who are corrupt, people who are woefully misqual- underqualified. I wouldn't ever nominate this um, this uh, person to the uh, to the to the to the Supreme Court. Neither would would Pete. Neither would any Republican. But we lost an election, and the, the president should be entitled to nominate the, the person or persons that he sees fit. If that person is qualified and not corrupt and not his brother-in-law and all those types of things. I think you're probably entitled to have the Supreme Court nominee that he likes. Um, I go back to the days that uh, Robert Bork um, was 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 his nomination was killed off by Democrats, supposedly because he was unqualified. The man was the leading voice in the American jurisprudence at the time. uh, And the fact that uh, the Senate killed him really ruined the process. And I was sort of hopeful we could get back on track. Actually, uh, Mick, Ed Cox, to take it way back, it was Hainsworth that was the first one way back when, if you will recall that. No, because I'm not that old. I was young then, but I recall it. It was it was Hainsworth followed by Carswell. Carswell, yeah, yeah, followed by Carswell. That was the that was the first time that uh, it was really uh, Hainsworth would have made a terrific uh, Supreme Court justice. But uh, I, I look at it. I look at it from my own perspective. I've been Senate confirmed, right? And I did through my budget hearings, and I knew more about the budget than everybody on the committee. And, in fact, members of the committee said that I knew more about that. I got 51 votes. Um, and uh, I, had, I had Democrat walk up to, Democrats walk up to me and say, look, you know, in any other environment, I would have voted for you. I probably would have got 85 or 90 votes. Um, that, that Washington is broken in many, many ways, and, and this confirmation process just sort of lays it bare for everybody to see. Hey, Mick, do you see any chance of changing that? You're right. It's, if you're a Republican in a Democratic Senate, they're going to every Democrat, almost every Democrat is going to vote against you. And speaking of that, do you think Joe Manchin be, can be counted on in the future? No, I, I'll take a second question first. Yeah. Joe is for Joe. I mean, that's fine. That's what senators are. I think Joe is Joe's not – if we're counting on him – uh, we shouldn't do that. He's not a Republican. Um, and, you know, you know, senators are, are a lot less party affiliated than House members. Every senator wakes up in the morning and sees a future president in the in the mirror. Right. Um, and so they're they're in it. There's a lot more self-interest than there is. It's a lot less of a team sport in the Senate than it is in the House. Can you count on him? I think you can count on him to do what he thinks is best for him and for West Virginia. And that's that's all I expect. That, that That's fair. I think. Uh, the thing I liked about Joe Manchin is if he told you one thing, he, he stuck by it. Um, you know, Pete, you and I fought all the time, but at least we didn't stab each other in the back. We Never. had you're right about that. Right. We came right face to face, and that's that's all you're looking for in that in that line of work. And I think uh, Joe can be relied on to to at least be honest. Well, Mick Mulvaney, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, God bless you, and uh, thank you for being honest with the American people. Hey, Mick, thank you, and thanks for your friendship. Thank you. Breaking news: WABC.
And right now here on Cats at Night, we have some breaking news with Ed Cox, who actually just left a big hearing not too long ago with some news on redistricting. On redistricting. You know, at the end of last week, the trial court gave us a terrific opinion that was said that throughout the legislature's partisan gerrymandered maps that was designed to keep them in power and super majorities of the legislature for the next uh, next uh, 10 years. And uh, now they're at the at the appellate division, fourth department, and the preliminary hearing. The good news is the clear indications are that this will be over at the highest court in the state, in the court of appeals, within three weeks by the end of April. And, but, but there's three Democrats, uh, uh, all appointed uh, uh, by Democrats, wasn't it? Yeah. On the court of appeals, oh, no, they were all appointed no, by all Cuomo. Seven, all, all seven, 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 all seven, seven appeals, all by seven. Governor Cuomo. I just, look, I just hope we get an honest count, and I'm sure they're honest people and. If there's an honest count, I think you win. They're doing what you, they How sh- do you put a congressional district in five different uh, uh, <laughs> when you're Only counties. when you're shameless. Yes. It only looks like a puzzle shameless. piece. It's like it, it's not uh, clear uh, lines. Look, it's like, there, how there do you are districts here that make Eldridge Gary also blush. Rep- yes. <laughs> they represent also Long Island Sound. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Or Lake Ontario goes around. Well, they they comp- like lakes. Fish has to be represented. They're a community of interest. That's what Ed Cox said. Only, the only community of interest here are the fishes. Exactly. So what does this mean time-wise? Give mean, us that's a sense the important yeah. thing. Time-wise, this is, this will be decided in time that the primary can be put off to August and we can have a, an elections, primary elections, and the general election on honest <clears throat> constitutional maps that are fair. And is that going to mean that all the petitions have to be redone and everything yeah, else? And they'll have to be redone for, for because the district certainly will be and new And they're going to push out, if, if it goes through that direction, they're going to push out the primary to August. That's right. Probably okay. as far as August 23rd. Yeah, that apply to all the elections. Let's say a person uh, uh, declined to run for the state senate because they want to run for Congress. They'll, now they it'll apply out. to them, but they'll all get pushed out from okay, uh, June 28th right. to, to August, probably thank, the 23rd. Thank you for the news, uh, Ed Cox. Uh, let's take a break. Are we ready for a break? And when we come back, we yeah. come back with? Yeah, we've got a retired DEA agent, Derek Maltz, by the way, who's going to be at the border. He's going to be talking to us from McAllen, Texas, and talking about fentanyl and what's happening with the border and sort of what we talked about with Mick Mulvaney about Title 42. Lots of huge news coming up on Cats at Night.